Are you tired of all the voices who say, focus on the bottom line numbers? Say whatever you have to, just close the sale. Just get the credit card. It doesn't matter what you deliver. You will never build a successful business until you grow a pair and stop caring so much. Here, we respectfully disagree. We give you permission to embrace who you are, how much you care, and encourage you to design a business that works for you and your clients. Welcome to The Art of Giving a Damn, the podcast that proves with every single episode that you can create a profitable business doing what you're passionate about and making a positive difference in the world. Now, here's your host, Michelle Schaefer. Welcome back to another episode of The Art of Giving a Damn. My guest today is Hannah Fitz, and I can't wait to share more with you about what she does because it's something so many entrepreneurs misunderstand in their business. Hannah, it's great to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. So when I ask what you do, the way you phrased it was you said you're an international brand strategist and business coach for in-demand entrepreneurs. And what you do is help them elevate their sales and their impact with a powerhouse brand presence. What does that mean? <laughs> so, you know, as entrepreneurs, we, at least, you know, the clients that I work with, these are people who have invested a lot in their own personal and professional growth. Um, a lot of my clients, they desire to play at the highest level. They've acquired skills at the highest level and experiences as well. But where most people have a gap is how they present that to the world in a way that quickly builds trust, authority, and is compelling enough to, to connect with an audience who have never met you before, but may have encountered your brand through the internet. And so how do we build relationships when we haven't physically encountered someone um, or even have them encounter some kind of video, right? Maybe they just encountered your website or some collateral material or an article that you posted. And so essentially what I do is help people tell better stories, um, help them infuse both psychological, strategic, and also um, a little bit of spiritual codes into their messaging uh, to elevate it so that it creates more powerful connections with their audience. We use what I like to call world-class strategies, um, having experience worked with, working with uh, global brands um, and also studying a lot of uh, world-class brands and taking those strategies of million and billion dollar brands that entrepreneurs can use at any stage of their business to create a greater impact. I love that. So before we go any further, I have to ask the obvious question. Brand just means my logo, right? No, and that's where people get it wrong. Your brand is, if you think about the universe, right? The earth is like just one small part of the bigger universe out there, right? And we tend to think that that's the, we're the most important people in the whole ecosystem. But there's a lot going on out there that's actually helping us exist, right? That we may not even be aware of. And so your brand is an ecosystem. Your logo is just one part of that ecosystem. And there are aspects of your brand that may not be visible 
but that can help make the visible much more powerful. And so we work a lot with both tangibles, which the tangible elements are your touch points like your website, your logo, your photos, and all the visual aspects. But then there are the invisible aspects that come in to really help drive that and make it more powerful, more meaningful to connect better with your audience. For those who don't understand the whole universe part, maybe I can explain it in terms of a vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. You might get attracted to a car because it has a beautiful body and it's shiny paint and, and beautiful features that you can touch and feel and, and look at and that's visually appealing. But what's making the vehicle work is the engine underneath the hood. And we don't see it immediately, but that's what's really driving it. These are the intangible aspects of your brand and what I call the brand DNA. Yeah, there's so much more to it than just your logo. The logo totally. matters, the colors, the fonts, all of that matters. But, you know, when you think about the brands that you're attracted to, and I love the way, uh, guys, if you're not following Hannah on Facebook, make sure you go look her up because she does things where she breaks down the elements and luxury brands that are actually what attracts people to them. And it's fascinating to see how much it is beyond a logo or beyond any specific tagline of those pieces we sometimes think of when we think of branding. Totally. The, the logo and the website must be a translation of what, especially with luxury brands, luxury brands work with codes and they work with what we call a brand DNA. Every luxury brand has their brand DNA. If you think of a brand like BMW, they also have a brand DNA and that informs the physical manifestation of the brand whether the car has the signature kidney grill that we know BMW has, or it has that signature logo with the blue and, and white, which is actually the Bavarian flag. So it is a cultural symbol that is infused into the brand and everything has meaning and symbolizes something more powerful that doesn't immediately connect consciously with the audience, but at a subconscious mm -hmm. level, it is sending that message of power and performance for a brand like BMW because that's what they want the market to remember them for. And so it's really translating all of that into visual stories that connects with people. Very cool. Okay, so before I go too far into the branding thing, because I definitely have some questions for you about that, one of the quotes that I love that you have on your website is, it doesn't matter how your story began. You can create a new destiny and captivate the world with your own brand of magic. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute. I know you've had a really interesting story. You didn't actually start out as an entrepreneur doing this branding thing. You had a pretty high-power corporate, eight to four, and you decided <laughs> to leave that. So where, where did you start? Take us on that journey. Okay, so um, when I left university, I decided I wanted to get some corporate experience. I mean, I've always into business, having my own business in some shape or form. So I had a fashion boutique and things like that going on in the past, right? But I wanted to, when I left uh, university, I had actually studied corporate management. And, um, and then later I did an LLM in international commercial law. So I wanted to get a corporate job to really understand how a company works and to really get that formal training so that I can go out and do my own. Um, and so I got a corporate job with a financial group of companies and I was responsible for their product development and product management. And what that meant was that I was responsible for helping them 
revamp products that were underperforming so that they can become more profitable. And I also analyzed the entire group's product portfolio um, to better to advise the board on what needed to happen next to improve mm -hmm. overall performance of the portfolio. So I had that job. It was a lot of um, project management and cross-functional teams. And I developed a lot of policies for the organizations uh, because I knew I was leaving. So I wanted to put structures in place so that anyone who came after me would have policies in place on how we develop products and everything else. So I did anything from policy to product development to management. But then I got the call that it was time to leave. And it was really one of those strong moments where I think anyone who has had that experience where you just get that call, it's time. And it wasn't really the right timing. It was um, at least by realistic standards. It was right after the financial crisis of 2008. Um, and so a lot of markets had been affected. So it wasn't really the time to think about going on your own as an entrepreneur. Right. Um, but I took a leap of faith. Um, and, you know, I always tell the story of being tested because we are all tested in our journey, even advanced in our entrepreneurial journey. And when I handed in my resignation, I had already secured a, con a consulting contract um, with a very well-known chain of hotels um, in the Caribbean. And uh, I was really excited about that because I had my first client, I had my resident. As soon as I handed it in, the company called and said they did not, they were not going to use my services, that a family member of somebody on the board could do the job and they were going to hand it over. And so I was like, well, do I run back to HR or do I continue this? And um, I decided to continue to walk in faith. And I got my first client, which was the ideal client, they were actually a luxury award-winning, Condé Nast award-winning luxury hotel. And, um, and they were my clients for eight years until I decided I was not working until this year when I decided I didn't really want to work with corporate clients anymore. Uh, they stuck with me on the journey throughout. And after that, that company who left came back and became my client a month later. So that was the test. It didn't work out with the person they took, and they came back to me. And, um, and then I moved to Italy on a whim <laughs> and uh, didn't know anyone, just moved to, to Milan and started consulting for Italian brands. And yeah, and just continued my journey from there. So I ran my consulting firm, working with corporations, working with family-owned businesses, um, traveling the world with my clients, helping them also expand their brand globally. Um, and then I decided I wanted mm -hmm. to focus on entrepreneurs online, and that's what I'm doing now. Right. So, and that's that's how you and I met. You were doing the entrepreneurial branding part of it. Um, yeah. And that's it's really interesting to watch. I've seen you do makeovers of some of these brands and just the way that you're really able to bring out kind of what their core values are, like how they want to show up in the world. And I know yeah. part of that is the um, powerhouse brand blueprint that you use. So can you talk a little bit about that? And like, where do you start with somebody when they come to you? And I know a lot of us would probably look at our brands and go, okay, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin to really step into what I see as possible. What's the first step for somebody with that? So what I've found with entrepreneurs at any level, and I'm telling you, I've worked with uh, clients who have $5 million companies, 
um, when I talk about people who have very smaller companies, family-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. And what I found is that most people build their brand from a very myopic space of what do I want to achieve this year or um, in the next three months? And mm -hmm. some of the business is evolving organically and things are just happening sort of as they happen, right? And so the first place that I start with clients is really clarifying the vision because we don't want to build a brand around what your goal is right now. We want to build a, a brand around what that big vision is because you're building a house and you're expecting to grow your family. You don't want to build a one-bedroom house, right? Yeah. You want to make yeah. sure that you build, if you're going to build a one-bedroom house, that you build a house in a way that you can expand it and add mm -hmm. on rooms as you desire. But you don't want to build it when you're ready and, oh my gosh, where do I put that room? I have no space. It's, it can't facilitate right. that. And so we start with the vision. We start with really, it's kind of like being an architect, really creating that blueprint of what that brand is, how will it be best positioned, what is the best positioning for it, given the long-term vision, the current goals, and the current market landscape, right? Also take into consideration mm -hmm. things like the current worldview, right? And that's where I talk about the market landscape in terms of not just clients, but what is happening in the world? How is the world shifting? How are the perspectives of people shifting in the world that will influence the evolution of your brand or influence some new uh, positioning that you can take to take advantage of an emerging opportunity? And so I always talk about Oprah, for instance. Um, mm -hmm. She entered a market that was fairly developed, a, a market that was already quite saturated with a lot of players. There was a market leader, Phil Donahue at the time. But understanding the market landscape and understanding the worldview, she understood that this time was the time where people were looking for transformation. And mm -hmm. so she moved away from the hot trending news of the day to creating messages around transformation. And that's what I call in my program, finding your kernel. So it's really about finding the hole in the market. So what is the hole? What is that gap? And then filling that hole. You see, your brand does not need to be the best. Your brand needs to be different and it needs to be better. So how do we find a positioning that's different? And how do we do something that's better than everybody else in the market? So that, that's interesting. And I know a question a lot of people ask me, so I'm sure a lot of listeners have, is how do you figure out what's different about you when you know there's a 100 other people or a 1,000 other companies who do what you do? <laughs> How do you talk a client through that question? Of, okay. I don't know what's different. So we about don't me. just talk it. I love to do things both on empirical research, like ground things in research data, and also I have a process that I call uncovering your globally irresistible distinction. And the globally irresistible distinction uh, report is divided into two parts. We overall we're trying to figure out what is your fit, what is the best fit for you. Right, mm -hmm. And that's where we use things like archetypal branding, cultural codes, and six dimensions of brand development that I use to help my clients develop their brand DNA. And in that globally irresistible distinction report, to find the fit, we try to understand what are the core archetypes um, that really drive you, that are in you already. Mm -hmm. And how do we use that to your advantage? Because maybe they're already players in your market who's exhibiting your core archetype. 
But what will distinguish you is what I call the twist. And together with the core, the, the, core, the irresistible core and the twist, mm -hmm. it's what I call your it factor. So the I for irresistible core and the T for the twist, your ah. it factor. And the twist okay. is what makes you really different because mm -hmm. there might be 10 other heroes in your market. But what is mm -hmm. that other archetype that you can leverage to really set you apart in the market and inform your messaging, right? And so if you look at a brand like BMW and even Nike, they leverage archetypes. Louis Vuitton is the explorer archetype, but they're not just an explorer. They have something else that's coming in there to create that it factor to differentiate uh -huh. them from other explorer brands. Um, and so when we do that report, that report, a lot of clients say to me, wow, Hannah, I was doing that, but I never understood why I was doing it. Or I was doing it sometimes, but I didn't even know that I was doing it. And so the whole point of this is for you to become a conscious creator, right? Because sometimes we do things unconsciously and it creates hits and misses in our marketing. Yeah. But if you are more consciously aware of what's drawing people to you, what are the more attractive things that you can leverage mm -hmm. to draw clients to you, that's when you're in a power position to communicate more powerfully to your audience, to deliberately embed are codes in your messaging that powerfully draw people to you. So understand the exact language that you need to speak to your ideal client that will attract the right client to you. So I had a client who um, is a ruler lover archetype, right? And she was messaging to her clients and saying, and you should, and you, and, and you need to. Well, rulers don't need ruler clients because you're inevitably going to draw rulers to you and they don't want to be told what to do. So what you, the way you speak to that client is you say, well, what I found works is that when you do things in that way, you get that result. And that softer approach opens up the dialogue for that person to actually listen to your message more. So we actually look at messaging for each archetype and really embed that in the marketing and everything that the client does. That is really fascinating because it's, it's one of those things where you realize branding and how that shows up goes so much deeper than most yeah. people really realize that it does when you look at even the messaging of how do you speak to attract yeah. the right kind of clients for your business. Absolutely. And then if we speak about things that people are more interested in, like photo shoots. So another example is like I have a client who is a magician archetype and it's better for her to use escalators in her visuals than a step because magicians like quick transformation. So again, all these different symbols that you get to infuse the right message because people who like that type of unconsciously, they're going to be drawn to you. That's really interesting. So let's go the opposite direction for a minute. What are the biggest mistakes that you see entrepreneurs make with their branding? I think the biggest mistake they make is, um, so there are many, <laughs> but the biggest mistake they make is thinking that um, just having a professional shoot or a website is the brand. Um, and it goes much deeper than that. And unless all those things are tied to a bigger strategy, are tied to a, a bigger message, a core mm -hmm. message, they become meaningless tools. 
anybody can hire a great photographer or a great web designer, but not anybody can strategically encode the right messages, the right symbols to be able to create that global authority, that trust, and that, that powerhouse image that will take you to the next level of growth and success. I love that you're using words like global authority and powerhouse. I think one of the things that's so fascinating to me about the way you approach branding is that idea that it really is bigger picture. It's a bigger goals. It's a bigger mindset. Like you said, instead of what's my goal for this year and how does my logo and my website fit into it? It's really, what do you want to build? Like what's the empire you want to create? I think a lot of entrepreneurs have kind of accidentally fallen into the brand they have. So yeah. one question I'm sure that people have is, how do you transition a brand? Like, a lot of people who are listening are probably thinking, okay, yeah, I should probably be a little more intentional about the brand, about what I put out there. Where do I even, especially if they are transitioning maybe into a bigger dream for their business and seeing that bigger space, how do you take somebody through that process? So as I said, the, the first step is really looking at the vision and then mapping out the brand strategy, which looks at overall positioning, finding the kernel, um, looking at things like um, in terms of the bigger picture, because you see your brand is everything. Every touch point is your brand. And so even looking at organizational structure, the culture that you're going to create in your organization, and all these core um, organizational elements that need to come in to support the brand because these are infrastructural. This is like pillars within a building. These mm -hmm. pillars need to be strong to be able to hold the building as you grow up. Um, the other thing is really stepping away as just even as a public figure, seeing your brand as just you. And so one of the ways that I see this is people are like, I am my brand. Yes, I am. But if you look at Coco Chanel, she was her brand. She was Coco Chanel. There cannot be another Coco Chanel. But yet, the brand DNA is so strong that you can have other people represent Coco Chanel. You can have mm -hmm. Karl Lagerfeld um, head the house and still it be a Coco Chanel product. And so mm -hmm. how do we create a brand that has a legacy beyond you that has continuity that is built to grow even when you step away from it or sell it or some other way. So we, we don't know what the long-term goal is. I always ask the client, what are we doing? Are we branding to sell or are we branding to grow and pass on generationally? So the infrastructure has to be right for whatever the long-term vision is. Um, once we've done that, we then look at the brand identity and that brand identity. So say 50 years from now, you're no longer around. Somebody else is the head of your brand. They now have this brand Bible, so to speak, that will inform the decisions of the organization. So brands like, as I said, Coco Chanel, Hermes, um, Pucci, all those brands, their DNA continue to um, inform the, direct, the creative direction of everything the brand does right? And so once the DNA is in place, then we look at now that we have a strong DNA, how do we translate that DNA into visual stories, into written stories, mm -hmm. okay? And, yeah. and then we now look at how do we get it out there in a bigger way? So most people think about, oh, I need publicity. Well, if you don't have a well-developed brand and you go and you start publicizing yourself, but 
it's not on brand or supporting the message that you want to create, then you're going to miss the mark. And now you're going to have to have a hard time trying to reinvent or change the messages that you put out in the market, which is doing the work, working harder when you can do it right the first time. Absolutely. That's, that's one of those things that you got to do things in the right order and kind of put that foundation in place first. Yeah. And when you do, it makes everything easier because now that you have those brand uh, infrastructure in place, your powerhouse brand presence, blueprint, everything is laid out, your core, everything, your culture is laid out. You now know I need employees. These people must match up with the brand DNA, with the brand culture. These, uh, if I'm, if I'm going to get a partner, this partner must line up with this strategy that I've developed. Um, if you're going to do a photo shoot, you know that this whatever shouldn't be in the background because it doesn't support the story. Right. You know, that's such a true statement when it comes to nailing down what that brand DNA, what those company values, all of those pieces are, it yeah. makes all the rest of your decisions so much easier so because much you know easier. what's in alignment with that big picture and what's not. Totally. So I see very often people posting, well, which logo do you like <laughs> on, on groups and things? And I'm like, all you have to do is go to your brand DNA and say, does this carry what I call the five energies of your archetype? Does this carry the five energies of your archetype? Is it in alignment? And you can tell and judge for yourself. Okay, no, this one doesn't match up, this one. And it's very easy to do the elimination process. Yeah, you know, I think because, too often entrepreneurs kind of delegate those kinds of decisions to people yeah. who aren't qualified to help them make it. Exactly. If I on Facebook to my Facebook friends, most of them aren't even ideal clients yeah. for my business. So I'm asking the wrong people for feedback. Exactly. That's, I think it's a little bit dangerous sometimes. It is dangerous. And I always encourage clients that you need to become a tastemaker. Don't let the market dictate to you. You have to become an influencer and lead the market into a new world way of existing and a new way of being. That's what every iconic brand does. They are tastemakers. They tell us what are the trends of the future. That is a really, really important distinction. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay, so here's just a question for fun. What are some of your favorite brands out there? <laughs> so um, I love Coco Chanel. It's one of my favorite brands. Um, okay. I feel very connected to the brand because also in, in a personal way, we share, I share a birthday with Coco Chanel and we have the same name, Gabrielle, which is my middle name. Okay. Um, so that I feel a very strong connection also because she's an, a female entrepreneur who showed great tenacity mm -hmm. and really built something extraordinary that yeah. we can all learn from. Um, I admire so, brands like BMW when, and Mercedes. Sorry. When you look at the, the Coco Chanel brand, what are some things you see in it that we can learn from it as entrepreneurs? So Coco Chanel brand has a very strong DNA, very distinct brand. It's very true to its roots and what Coco Chanel stood for as, as a person. Um, the brand has a distinct style. Anyone who understands uh, the fashion world will identify a Coco Chanel product very quickly. Um, the brand has also created very iconic lines. So you have the 2.55 handbag, which every woman desires. Uh, <laughs> um, you have things like the, um, the 
uh, the flower, I can't remember, the, mm -hmm. the camellia uh, flower. You have things like um, the pearls, which she's also known for. All these are symbols and, 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 and visual representations of the brand that are infused in everything, the tweed. And so the brand has a very strong culture, very strong DNA. Um, the messaging is always on brand um, in terms of it being the lover rebel. And so that's always present in all their messaging. Um, yeah, and it's just one of those brands. I mean, if you think about the fact that the brand started in 1930s, thereabout, mm. And it's still existing 100 plus years later. Um, they have done something right. And she has done something right. And it was not a simple story. Coco Chanel was not a mega success immediately. You know, she went bankrupt several times. Um, I didn't know that. You know, the brand shut down for five years in one period and had oh, to be wow. open. So there are a lot of, you know, powerful lessons of resilience and and overcoming and you know even when it's ended it's not the end kind of thing so it's one of those brands that I admire because of that that's really interesting I didn't know that yeah okay. so during Very the war cool. she actually closed for five years yeah wow and came back after that and I'm came back after that She's, she's going to start over. She was much older at the time. So she's coming to a young person's world and as an, a much older woman. And of course, people thinking that her ideas are old and tired and what can she bring? To, but she showed that she was capable of stepping up to the new. She, and she was a woman who was very in touch with what's next. She was a tastemaker. Right. So she started the whole little black dress movement. She started the whole thing of women wearing very loose clothing and comfortable clothing when corsets was the thing of the day. Um, she understood the world. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. She understood the worldview of the market, what I talk about. And she found her Cornell. She understood that, that women were looking for comfort at that time. So timing is everything when it comes to brand development and product. Right. And the right product at the right time is really important, which is why the work that we do with clients in terms of uncovering the kernel is so important because timing of a product is everything. Hmm. So speaking of timing and kind of looking at trends, what do you see as trends coming for, for the next year? Like what should people be looking at as far as their branding or as far as growth goes for 2019? So I think what we need to focus on more and more is creating more of a mark of distinction because we have more and more people entering a market, especially markets with low barriers to entry, like the coaching consulting industry. Uh, right. These markets do not have barriers. There's nothing to protect you. So new competitors, floodgates of competitors are coming in. And so how do you create a distinction? How do you uh, defy the laws of demand and supply, economic laws of demand and supply, and continue to maintain higher prices, even in the face of competition. And so that has a lot to do with having a distinct brand and also focusing a lot on experiential marketing, experiential branding, creating experiences around your products and services. Um, this is where the market is heading. People are looking more and more for experiences that are different. And so I see that as something that's going to be trending a lot, especially in this industry, which is relatively new, but it's already getting to a maturity stage. Um, and so the other thing that I see in markets like that is it requiring more structure, requiring more of a 
company approach than the solopreneur style type of operation. Interesting. Okay, so talk for a minute about the the second thing you brought up, which was the experiential piece of it. What do you see as ways that entrepreneurs can, can start to incorporate more of that into their business? So I can give an example, for instance, um, uh, recently while I was in Milan in, in, in October, uh, Starbucks had just opened up there. And, you know, four years ago when I lived in Milan, I knew the journey that Starbucks had gone through because the government was not going to approve um, Starbucks opening in Italy because they wanted to protect the local industry and all of that. Um, So it was a long journey for Starbucks and they finally opened. But what they realized was that, okay, not only did they have the challenge at the governmental level of opening, they needed to do something different to justify being in the Italian market. And so they focused on experiential marketing and experiential branding. And so the Starbucks in Milan is unlike any Starbucks you will visit anywhere except, I think, for Singapore and San Francisco. There are only three Starbucks in the world, Starbucks Reserve. So they didn't really open a coffee shop. They opened a reserve. And inside this coffee shop, before you actually enter, right, it's a beautiful building. And old. It's the old post office. So it's a beautiful European building um, in the middle of Milan. Outside, red carpet, security dressed in black and white, um, sanctions. So you need to take a line before you can enter. There are only quarters of people being let in at a time. You enter the place. And inside is this magnificent, beautiful structure. There's the coffee being grounded. Um, They're they're making the coffee right in there. So there's big machines that's grounding the coffee right inside of there, packaging everything. Um, There's beautiful uh, high-end Starbucks merchandise. And, of course, what they've done is they've partnered with, like, well-known Italian bakeries, so they're creating, they have those authentic Italian artesian bakery, um, bakery variety of, of pastries and cakes and things. Um, and of course, different coffees uh, that they've paid tribute to um, Milan in terms of being one of the places that influenced espresso in the world. And so you go into there and it's not just a coffee shop, it's an experience. You can see the process of grounding the coffee and and creating it for you. You can see the process. You can experience a piece of Italy in there. You know, it's it's truly a magnificent place. And that's what people want. Why are there lines of people outside just waiting to get in? Because it's not just a coffee shop. It's an experience. Wow. Yeah, that, that does not sound like the typical Starbucks experience at all. No, no, no. And you don't get those white Starbucks cups with the little green uh, thing, uh, siren on it. You get like beautiful black cups with gold uh, print on it. And it's, it's just really a different product, a different experience. Oh. It's almost like going into a museum. It's like a Starbucks museum where they're showcasing what the brand is about and taking you into their world. And that's sort of where so, the market is going. Yeah, that is really fascinating. How, how would you translate that into a business that's mostly virtual or online? What are some ways that coaches or consultants can create some aspects of that experiential type yeah. marketing? So one of the things that um, I've had my clients do is we create things called customer journey mapping. And really mapping out those touch points. So for those of you who don't know what a touch point is, 
a touch point is anywhere that someone can come in contact with your brand. So if it's Instagram, if it's your website, if it's a business card, everything that they can so-called touch or see or feel or hair is a touch point. And so within those touch points, so having done those maps, you can identify those touch points and decide how can you infuse some experiences around that and sometimes even bringing in those experiences from an archetypal perspective because now everything is congruent, everything is integrated so that the experience of your brand is the same. Huh, okay, gotcha. I can see where you get to have some fun with that, uh, looking at, you know, how do you bring more of your brand's personality into all these different touch points? Totally, totally. It, it can be a lot of fun because I think one of the, uh, the things about the coaching industry that I have observed is that, um, you know, we, a lot of us learned from other coaches and those coaches might have learned from other coaches. But what most people don't realize is most marketing and most messaging are archetypal. And so you might be a lover archetype trying to um, incorporate a hero's approach yeah. to your marketing, and that feels incongruent. It doesn't feel like it's connecting with you. It's just Absolutely. because it's just not on message for you or the yep. people that you're trying, you're meant to attract. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's that's something that I see so many coaches, consultants, service providers, business owners in general get frustrated because a particular marketing approach isn't working. And if you know the person, you can look at it and go, well, I see why this isn't you. Why are you trying to market this way? And it's one of those things where it really is a disconnect from who they are. And when they can exactly. step into who they are, then it suddenly all starts to work so much more yeah. smoothly. I say to clients, it's not about changing yourself. The, building a powerhouse brand and showing up in a more elevated way is not about changing who you are. It's about tapping into who you are authentically and then taking that to the next level. I love that. That's a brilliant way to put it. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. So speaking of working with your clients, what's What's your favorite piece of the work that you do? I mean, I've seen, like, you go on location, you do photo shoots, you, you do surveys. I've seen the surveys you send out with clients and yeah. out of you. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so many fun pieces to it. What do you enjoy most about it? You know, I, I love almost every aspect of it because every aspect is a piece of the puzzle. I mean, obviously, it's a lot of fun to be, um, I love art directing. Uh, my clients sort of should want to understand what the brand identity, brand identity is to help them create those stories uh, through the photo shoot and to actually be on set and help them uh, translate that properly with the photographer and whatever team that's the production team. Um, of course, these are the fun parts, but I also enjoy very much the strategic parts where we're doing those research and focus groups and we're gathering information and the client gets to discover how the world sees them for the first time. You know, that can be quite revealing. Um, <laughs> I can imagine that's sometimes maybe more of a surprise than we might think. Totally. And we do this work to simply identify the gaps and to try to bridge them because what brand building a brand is all about this. You're coding messages and sending them out into the market. The customers are decoding your messages and responding to you. So how do we find out what they're decoding and what you've been coding and how do we bridge the gap? And so that's also fun to discover, you know, how that has been operating. Yeah. 
Oh, I would imagine. I know. I think I think you were there when Adam and I had the conversation. I was frustrated that people didn't didn't know me for certain things or that I could do certain things. And he's like, well, you're not ever talking about them publicly. <laughs> oh, yes, but it's possible I put it out a different message that I want to come back. That does not work well. Exactly. <laughs> it's like you're putting out apples and you're expecting oranges back. It's like... <laughs> It's funny the things that we do that sometimes we don't realize until somebody else points it out. And I think that's why it's, it's so helpful for entrepreneurs and coaches and consultants, uh, for all of us in business, to have experts like you come in and take a look at it and see it from kind of that bigger picture bird's eye view and be able to go, okay, so if we move these couple of things around, you switch this, you give this a twist, like you said about the it factor, it really makes a big difference. It makes a difference. And and it doesn't stop there, you know. I think one thing we have to realize is, you know, it's an ongoing pro- – I, I feel – I like to build brands that are sustainable, legacy brands. That Once you have your identity, that's something that perpetuates. But one thing that – I mean, even when I worked uh, for that company um, – we did every year, we did those customer perception reports where we actually wanted to understand how, because there's always, as you continue, you want to be able to track what is the perception out there versus what I think it is and then bridge those gaps. You're always having to rebridge and bridge the gap because um, time changes, people change, you might get off message um, or your market might change. And so it's really constantly staying on the beat but the brand DNA is something like your heartbeat. You know, you might change your hair color, but you, oh, I shouldn't say your, your heartbeat. It's like your DNA, your human DNA. You can change your hair color. You can change your lipstick. You can change those things, but your DNA is with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that goes back to what you said earlier about it, it's not about creating a character as much as finding who you authentically are yes. and then how do you take that to the next level? Take it to the um, next level. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have to say that sometimes people are afraid of the next level. I've seen that where, you know, a lot of clients are waiting either for permission to show up as the superstar that they should be or waiting for them to achieve a certain level for them to show up as the woman they desire to be or the man they desire to be, or they're afraid to show up because they think, what if I can't sustain this and then I have to go back? Um, But, you know, it's are you waiting for the fall or are you projecting that the only way is up? And you need to be the person you, the powerhouse you desire to be in the future now. And you need to show up as that person now. I love that. All right. So let's talk about how people can get in touch with you and find out more about what you do. I know if they go to your website at hannahfitz.com, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes, so either near the video somewhere or the audio if you're listening, you'll see a link to Hannah's site. And on her site, you'll see um, uh, an offer to grab Discover Your It Factor to stand out, be the brand clients desire and remember. It's a free e-magazine that you share little-known strategies that the world's most successful global brands use to convert strangers into loyal clients, increase visibility, celebrity, and sell with greater ease. So people yes. can grab that at hannahfitz.com. And what's the best way for them to get in touch with you if they want to have a conversation about how they can create that powerhouse brand? 
For sure. So you can get in touch with me, as you said, through the website. Um, and if you feel like you'd like to have a conversation about what's next for you or, you know, how you can even take your brand to the next level, discover your it factor, leverage that to create more influence and impact in your market, um, then get in touch with me at Hannah, that's H-A-N-N-A, at Hannah, H-A-N-N-A, F-I-T-Z dot com. So that's Hannah at HannahFitz.com. Um, and I also share um, my link with Michelle if you would like to uh, schedule a call with me. Uh, maybe just take a look at what's going on with your brand and what maybe your next right step might, might be. Awesome. So we will put that link in the show notes as well for listeners. Uh, I encourage you if you maybe have been listening to this conversation and thinking, yeah, I could think a little bigger, a little more intentionally about my brand reach out to Hannah, have a conversation with her. It will be one of the smartest things that you've done for your business. Hannah, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. I really appreciated being here and for these amazing questions that you asked. It was so much fun. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. So wherever you're listening, please rate, review, subscribe, like, and tune in again for another episode. I'll see you there. Ciao.